What's a podcast? This is my 95-year-old grandma. What is it? I'm asking you. <laughs> I don't know. What's your favorite podcast? What's my favorite podcast? Like, what would it be? <laughs> what about this one? Sue does. <laughs> she does. She does. Is that your favorite? <laughs> it is now. <laughs> and whether we're your favorite or not, we appreciate you listening and supporting this project. We wanted to let you know that this episode, episode 10, is the final episode of She Does, season one. We're not going anywhere. We're only getting started. But we feel that this collection of 10 episodes deserves a little bow or maybe a little frame. How lovely. It has been a lovely little journey so far, but one we've been doing and paying for on our own. If you like what you've been hearing and want to help She Does continue on, we've set up a way for you to throw some monetary love our way, which will help us pay for production, sound design, artwork, and web maintenance. Head over to shedoespodcast.com slash support and find out how you can help keep She Does in your ears. So yes, we're completing a chapter by dubbing our first 10 episodes as season one. But we're not going to slow down. We're not even going to take a break. We'll be here in two weeks, same time, same place, with a new episode, a new season. Tell your grandma. All right, here we go. Episode 10. I just cherish the opportunity to be able to ask people whatever I want. It's thrilling. You know, I could lead a very happy life sitting in this radio station and being on like some sort of chat roulette of phone calls where I'm just talking to strangers all day about their lives. You are listening to She Does, a series that features women working in media, all forms of media. We wanted to know how they arrived at where they are today. So we asked and found out and thought you might like to know too. I'm Sarah Ginsberg. And I'm Elaine Sheldon. And today, we'd like you to meet Bianca Gaver. She's a radio producer and filmmaker who makes work for NPR, This American Life, and Radiolab. She's represented for her commercial work by Missing Pieces and for creative work by United Talent Agency. Based on these impressive credentials in both the film and radio world, you'd think she's been around for a while. But Bianca only graduated from Middlebury College in Vermont just a few years ago, in February of 2013. When we did this interview, Bianca was 24. She's our youngest guest to date. She makes work, and a lot of it. And not just projects for others, but projects for herself, for fun. She puts herself out there, in all types of situations, collecting conversations and turning them into stories. She really just loves talking to people, and you can tell, you can hear it. After this, Brian and I had to check with each other. We honestly weren't heard sure all this from Ivan. This summer, my friend Danny and I left from San Francisco on a project to bicycle around yeah. the country. Yeah, that's true. That's good advice. I've always like wanted to talk to strangers, basically. <laughs> like when I was eight, I um, would ask a, a bunch of a, of people I saw like what the best piece of advice they'd ever heard was and I would keep like a running tally in my notebook and I collected like over 150 pieces of advice from like the janitor at taco time like a guest at my aunt's wedding so apparently I was like really into collecting advice from strangers from an early age and I basically haven't strayed from that at all it seems like. Bianca was born and raised in Seattle. Her mom was a real estate agent, which is a pretty social business. So it's possible Bianca inherited this curiosity, this interest in people from her mom. Or it came from her dad, 
who, despite his profession as an engineer, had a heavy extracurricular interest in the arts. He would take Bianca and her brother to art galleries all around Seattle, almost every weekend. She remembers him going to Burning Man while she was growing up. Do you know any other dads that go to Burning Man? No. No, I do not. Me either. But I love it. And so does Bianca. She says her dad was always going off the beaten path. And it was probably these collective, community-based installations you see at Burning Man that inspired Mr. Gaver's gift to Bianca for her 14th birthday, an art car. (laughs) The car? I have to give my dad a lot of credit. It was not pretty. Like, I'm not a painter and neither were my friends. An art car is a mobile canvas that you may paint and decorate however you want. There are no limitations. I made a vague plan that I presented to my friends. It was based off of like famous artists. And so we had a Modrion inspired roof. And then our handprints were all over it. And the best part was a chalkboard on the back. So it was a great document of, of Seattle basically over the course of like 2004 to 2008, we drove this car and we took photos of everything that people wrote in chalk on the back. Tons of stuff about the Iraq war, tons of anti-Bush stuff. There was, you know, it's my 20th wedding anniversary today and I couldn't be happier. People writing about how much they loved bacon. There was, it was just like a great like grab bag and like, yeah, blank slate for people to write whatever was on their mind as they were walking by. Driving an art car is like you're in a parade at all times. People wave at you wherever you go. I don't own a car, but but when I do, I'm certain it'll be an art car. I mean, it's just so much more fun than having a regular car. It's, it would be hard to go back. Bianca attended a public high school with not much of an arts program, but a really great journalism program where she was exposed to This American Life and The Stranger, the local alternative weekly paper run by Dan Savage. These voices in journalism and storytelling became her heroes. I had an excellent teacher at the school newspaper who um, told me that there was a student at our school who had terminal brain cancer and that I should do a story about it um, and that I should go really, really, really deeply and follow him everywhere for a really long period of time. And that's exactly what she did. Bianca spent one year reporting on her peer and completed an incredibly emotional, intense, in-depth piece titled Hurry Up and Live, The Nick Sears Story. It was published in the Seattle Weekly, where it was one of the year's top 10 most-read stories, and it won the Brasler Prize for Story of the Year in High School Journalism. Bianca was only 15. Bianca first began to play with sound at Middlebury College, a small but prestigious liberal arts school in Vermont. She immediately threw herself into the world of radio, taking on any and every opportunity she came across, internships, grants, public radio, products for school. If it meant she got to interview somebody, she was there. And then towards the end of my time at college, like my senior year, I signed up for a film class where we had to make a film every week for 13 weeks. There were only two minutes, but it was it was a lot. It was intense. And we would critique each other's films every Tuesday. And I would feel so embarrassed if, if I was presenting something that I didn't think was good. And so basically that's like a really like, self-destructive way to be because it just like was so hard and took long so long to make something that I felt was good every week. So I worked really, really hard in that class. But as the class came to an end and it was time to begin work on a final project, Bianca found herself struggling. And I was going through a really 
rough, sad breakup at the time, which was basically like the first time that my heart had really been broken. And I kept trying to do these all these other documentaries and couldn't do it because I was just so like sad and like in the self-pitying like breakup state of pure sadness that I was that was all I could think about. I was talking to my film teacher and he's like, listen, if what you know is radio and none of these other things are working out and you're really sad about your breakup, just do what you know, which is a radio story. So she went to her college advisor that she had known since freshman year. His name was Greg Humphrey. I want you to relish these emotions you're feeling <laughs> as however painful they are. So I think we do a disjustice when we try to say, well, just get over it. Buck up, Bianca. Buck up. But she didn't go to him for ideas on. on what to do for her film project. No, I mean, she went to him to talk about her situation, her broken heart. Oh, God. My, my heart has never been broken more than with my college sweetheart. He gave me, like, some really sweet and tender advice and a story about his first breakup. So I made that into a radio story, and then I was like, I think I can make this radio story into a video for my film class. Just like a, like a, you know, an anvil was on my heart. This, if you haven't seen it, is Holy Cow Lisa, a story of heartbreak told to the heartbroken. I'm talking about malaise, ache. Bianca took this very personal, thoughtful exchange and turned it into a story everybody can appreciate, whether you've had your heart broken or not. I could use a good dose of Holy Cow Lisa every day. You can get yours, too. We've got a link on our website. And, yeah, I kind of know what I did wrong. It works as an audio piece alone, but Bianca pairs this intimate conversation with both ordinary and unconventional visuals, photographs, and animated text in sync with the sometimes brutally honest words you are hearing. I don't love you anymore. Quote, I don't love you anymore all to illustrate what she was emotionally experiencing. It's as if we're right there with her as she's making sense of this whole thing. And it ended up being really fun to add the visuals to that radio story and play with that dynamic and, and being able to use his words and then break off into conveying different things I was feeling with just visuals. And so that's when I got the style down. I wanted to see if I could do that again, but this time with a happy story. Like, I really wanted to make something joyful because I was coming out of, like, you know, a three-month depression post-breakup, and I was like, even though I'm not feeling good yet, I just want to make something happy, and then maybe, like, through that process, I will become happy. This was part two of the film class, and Bianca... In discussing a more lighthearted topic with her film teacher, landed upon the idea of interviewing a kid. I like restraints and conceptual things. So I was like, I have no idea if this would work, but I'm interested in two ideas. One, if I asked a kid uh, what he would want a movie to be about and I forced myself to make it, like, would that work? And what would he say if he's given that opportunity? And the second idea was, can little children give good advice? It all depends on who you're asking. Do they have teeth yet? Do they know their ABCs? Do they know how to swim? Without water wings? We haven't had this verified by our team of scientists, but somewhere, at some point in childhood, there's this golden age of uninhibited creativity, and Bianca estimates it to be in six-year-olds. They're articulate enough to like tell a complete story, but they're not self-aware enough to hold back at all. 
and they still come up with all these surprising, crazy tangents. My film professor had a son who was six years old, and so I basically infiltrated his friend group and offered free babysitting to all the six-year-olds in this small town in Vermont and went through like four or five different six-year-olds until I found Asa. I can't even, I don't even know what happened yesterday. And it wasn't like I interviewed him and I knew, like we got along really well and we had a good conversation. But the entire time I was like, I have no idea if this is going to work or make sense to anyone. Her main objective was to ask Asa what he would like to make a movie about. And then, based on his answer, make that movie. Or at least her interpretation of it. And so she began. And it was like releasing a stream. No, No, a full-blown waterfall of consciousness from the six-year-old's magnificent mind. The word start in a box. During some parts of the interview, Bianca would hold back from saying anything. Wait, the start would be orange. Just to see how long Asa could continue on his insanely descriptive tangents, which would be about anything. Like food, for example. He's just like, when you're six, food is the greatest thing there is to life. And I had totally forgotten that. Like, I do not not hang out with kids often at all. There are stories about winter. There are stories about um, other things. Keep in mind, this was a school project with a limited budget. So while these tangents were quite fascinating, Bianca eventually had to reel Asa in. It was like all over the place and I was just trying to keep him on track and like see if there would be like a coherent story that could come out of it that was somewhat complete. Um, With other kids, it had been like really all over the place and there were things like exploding trains and shark attacks that I could not have like budgeted. But at one point in their conversation, Asa recounted a story that his grandmother would tell him and his little brother, Toby. A little story. Um, Asa Bear and Toby Mouse story. Of course, this was his version of the story, which makes it all that much better. But the characters remain the same. It's an Asa Bear and a Toby who's a mouse. Okay, so we'll have someone pretend to be a bear and pretend. So I was like, great, like a bear and a mouse in a swimming pool. Like, these are all very, like, manageable things in this small town in Vermont. Very fun time. Then it was time to go home. Bianca's hour-and-a-half chat with Asa was eventually cut down to be an eight-minute documentary film titled The Scared is Scared. When is this story is you don't really want to go when something's closing. Just like Holy Cow Lisa, it's autobiographical and comes from Bianca's fear of the unknown, which for her was life outside the safety and familiarity of college. And I was also interested in his process of telling a story and like how we say things and then go back and change our words and make up for them. And I wanted to leave all of all of that in. And a cookie. Chocolate chip cookie. I mean, oatmeal cookie. (laughs) Fear is a universal concept, experienced by both children and adults. But one thing kids, at least six-year-olds, fear less than adults is how they are perceived. And so they are typically more honest. And while they might be specifically talking about things in terms of the world they know, their insight can be applied to adult experiences. And it's quite profound. You'll have to wait to go back there. Yeah. I'm about to graduate in three weeks, and it sort of feels like my school is closing for me, you know? Yeah. Um, if, like, something feels like you're, you're closing, you, sh- you should just say, okay, I'm fine. I usually let it go. I just think, think of something that I really like to do and 
you just you just think of something else. Do you have those moments where those kind of like magical moments where you get something and you know that that you got it? Uh, yeah, like the creative bliss sort of feeling. Um, like there's moments of great tape that I recognize when I'm when I'm in an interview, but it makes me nervous to be to feel like everything's all all set you know and and hunky dory just just from one thing so i'm usually like pretty much doubting it right up until the end <laughs> and after sometimes too when scared feeling comes into you is scared is scared i screened it at my school for a theater of about like a hundred people and it seemed like people liked it okay and so my basic thought was like oh that was okay next next thing Bianca put the short up on Vimeo and posted it to Facebook without giving it a second thought. She got on a flight to Israel, a planned post-graduation trip, and the next time she got online, the Scared is Scared had taken off. I think it really touched on something for people, which is that creativity you have as a child that you sort of vaguely remember and, and fantasize about, and I think it just captured like how creative kids are, and it and it makes people nostalgic for that creativity and you know you can relate to it in so many different ways and people have related to it the scared is scared has spread like wildfire and it spread to a true medley of media outlets like buzzfeed the atlantic cbs usa today and jezebel one mom blogger even called it the best video on the whole internets bianca's response to her fear of this inevitable life transition to adulthood is ironically what launched her professional career. Bianca moved to New York, and for a while, she was receiving 200 emails a day with various open-ended offers and requests for general meetings. It was all very exhilarating, Despite the notoriety, Bianca still found that entering the real world as an artist right out of college is scary. Scared is Scared came out the day I graduated college, so it was like completely overwhelming, like introduction to the real world, adult life, having an apartment, paying bills, moving. All those things happened at once. So I sort of thought because of the Scared is Scared, I would like jump into the next thing quickly and it would you know, and because I was getting so many cool offers, but like there was lots of great opportunity if I had a really good idea, but I think it like takes a while to have a good idea of what you want to do. And I didn't really want, wasn't ready to act until I knew what I wanted to do next, which takes a certain amount of time and exploration and self-discovery and it just took me a while to adjust to not being in college anymore. Like, I didn't really, like, factor in the time for that transition. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I feel like I sort of I sort of stalled after the scared is scared. Like, I and it, it felt like because it had been so successful that, like, the next thing I would make would not be as good and that that would be disappointing and that like I needed to get over that hump or something. That's that's something I struggle with, like how much are you making things for yourself and how much are you making them for some sort of external validation or, or you know, now it's all tangled up with career and making money. And yeah, it's 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 hard to separate. B. 
being on your own after college is like a totally different experience and I, it was extremely lonely and it's hard to do things by yourself in a vacuum. So it was like very difficult to get momentum and, and that's taken about like about a year to figure out. What Bianca is expressing is what we like to call the sophomore slump. It's real, it's terrifying, and it's paralyzing. It's the fear that your next piece or project won't live up to the last. But in my experience, the best way to get out of a sophomore slump is to make stuff. Like, a lot of stuff. Stuff of all kinds. Photos, poetry, soundscape, drawings. And funny enough, this was Bianca's strategy, too. So in that year, Bianca took on whatever came her way. And looking back... She says she was experimenting with these different levels of projects and seeing what she liked and how she liked working, sometimes alone, sometimes with a small team, and sometimes with a crew. But she held to what she knew best. And Hector ended up telling Bianca a story that in many ways turns everything we've learned in this hour. She did a radio piece for WNYC's radio lab called Dear Hector, the moving story of a man whose adopted daughter was murdered by a crack-addicted burglar. I don't know if I've forgiven you, Evan Simpson, but I don't hate you. Bianca was also approached by NPR's Elise Spiegel and Lulu Miller, who she knew through previous radio work. They wanted her to adopt a new story they'd been working on about the mind and nutrition into a video. This one is called a milkshake experiment. A huge batch of milkshakes. She also did a fashion film for designer Rachel Antonoff, and she wanted to showcase her collection through the story of how her parents met. She brought Bianca on to direct the project. So Bianca interviewed Antonov's parents and cast people from Antonov's inner circle to play younger versions of her parents. It's a love story titled Crush. And I had like this instant crush on her. I didn't see her again for about a month. It was Halloween. Bianca was enjoying this assortment of projects and opportunities, but felt as if she were teetering this line between film and radio. And she didn't quite know where to land. And I'd always pictured myself going into public radio after college and staying in radio forever and being really dedicated to that. And so this whole like being being associated with doing video uh, was strange. But that video is only good because of my radio experience, which allowed me to tell a good story and edit it into an interesting story. And then the film aspect of it was more like an afterthought. Broadcasters exist to deliver news and create content for both local, national, and worldwide communities. People of all ages, economic levels, ethnicities, and interests. And there's something very familiar or comforting about public radio. Maybe it's those recognizable voices that we can count on to talk to us on what feels like a very personal level while we're driving or sitting at home on a Sunday evening. And it aligns so perfectly with Bianca's need and skill to talk to strangers, to develop trust, share their perspective and their story. One of Bianca's first forays in public radio was while she was in college at Middlebury. It was a summer internship in Cape Cod for Atlantic Public Media, 
a nonprofit organization that, since its creation in 1993, has grown to be an important catalyst for local and national public broadcasting, training, and distribution. Bianca got to work with the guru himself. No, not Ira. There's more than one. We're talking about Jay Allison, independent radio producer and executive director of Atlantic Public Media. You've probably heard his voice all over the place. I'm Jay Allison with Atlantic Public Media here in Woods Hole. The Moth is produced for radio by me, Jay Allison, with Vicki Merrick at Atlantic Jay is a supporter of creative and even experimental approaches to program production, and he's done a lot for public broadcasting in general. Out of Atlantic Public Media came PRX, came the Moth Radio Hour, and a whole host of other programs. He helped to found Transom, an organization that showcases and workshops pieces made by new voices in radio. But even before working with Jay, Bianca had been listening and was enlightened by his contributions to the radio waves. In a refreshing way, he's really open to just exploring like interesting characters and, and chasing things that are more lyrical and and like beautiful for their own sake, but aren't necessarily like you don't have to want to know what's going to happen next. You can just enjoy like exploring this world and being in it. Bianca's favorite piece of his, titled For Sale, was a story made back in 2002 that aired in a This American Life episode called Classifieds. It's a personal story for Jay, as he has just gone through a divorce and is looking to get a dog. So he scours the classified section of the newspaper and makes a few calls. And she slept on my bed also. <laughs> yeah, because um, I was like very lonely. I'm a very, I don't talk to a lot of people. Uh-huh. People opened up so much. I with her and I talked to her. Oh, <laughs> she I never told anybody, but yeah. I and started telling him, you know, like giving him advice and consoling him. And and that's where I learned that lesson that if you open up to people, they will totally welcome that, usually with open arms. Do you think you'll always have a dog? Yeah. I think I need a little friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. This is a lesson that Bianca absorbed and held close ever since. It's helped her realize a few things about her own work, her own motives. Even though I'm interviewing other people, there's always some personal reason why I'm interested in them. And often there's something I'm seeking in my own life, whether it's like some problem I'm dealing with, like with Scared to Scared, it was like being afraid to graduate college and go into the go out into the world or with Holy Cow Lisa, that that other thing I was struggling with, heartbreak. Having a tape recorder there is just an excuse to like be able to ask these questions that that I'm really wondering about. What's served me best is to just share things about myself. Um, and that's always led to great interviews and conversations and things that have been genuinely helpful to me and have like created really deep relationships between me and the person the person I'm interviewing. and and like that's a great lesson is that when you share something about yourself, like people are usually, um, they're usually grateful and they're usually willing to share something back. And like I'll, I'll have like vague ideas for the concept or the structure. There'll be a checklist of like a few things that I want to try, but if the interview goes somewhere else completely, then you know it's like okay, that's where it's going, and you follow it there. So yeah, I mean, it's a total art of balance and guiding a little bit, but not pushing too hard. You know, it's a dance.
tell by the way she talks about it. Bianca's heart truly belongs to what is heard. In fact, she finds the camera to be somewhat of a burden. A burden to use, to light for, and a burden to the interview. Like a needy tag-along intruding on an otherwise captivating conversation with a stranger. A third wheel on a friend date that just shouldn't be there. Oh my god. Film feels like such a pain in the ass doing radio. When you're doing radio, you know, it's just like the idea of bringing a camera into an interview is unfathomable to me. A, because I think talking heads are pretty boring. So I'm like, why would I want video of that anyways? And B, like the, I just find the audio much more intimate and I find it even more intimate sometimes if you can't see the person talking. I love getting the microphone right up next to their next to their mouth and you get that feeling that they're talking right to you or whispering in your ear just trying to control (laughs) the sound alone is a lot like I'm I'm pretty technically useless with a camera you know like I know what looks good and and what I like but like from a technical standpoint it just like occupies so much of my mind space that I I wouldn't be able to do anything else instead of writing off visuals completely Bianca has done just the opposite She's continued to make these audio-driven pieces accompanied by visual components that are anything but talking heads. That hybrid creature she concocted in college. She's been fearless, letting herself take leaps, maybe tripping and losing her balance a bit here and there, but eventually land quite gracefully, embracing and developing her own style. That's just so her. but she still prefers radio. I also just like the radio world and the people in it and that the fact that there's not a lot of money in it, so everyone's in it for the right reasons, and it's a small community that's that's pretty supportive and encouraging, I found. So yeah, (laughs) like the only way I can do video is if I already know exactly what I need to film because I've done a ton of audio interviews. So I love how like cheap and easy it is to do radio. Um, and how effective it is. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, where I, that's where I'm gonna stay, I think. Today, you'll find Bianca in New York, no longer teetering, but happily exploring that line between film and radio. The agency that represents her, Missing Pieces, provides a crew, that's right, a cinematographer, gaffer, set designer, the works, for the series of short films Bianca's directing called Videos for You. Bianca finds people, or they find her, who need to say something to somebody, but are having trouble doing so on their own. Bianca delivers a short film to help them say it. The series is in her style, but for This American Life. And the first episode was released on Valentine's Day and helped a girl named Maya say I love you to her boyfriend of eight years for the very first time. Um, it was bubbling out of me and I there, I couldn't keep it in. And but Could you feel the words I love you in your body? Well, yeah, no, I definitely could feel them. And I would write them out like with my finger, which is really cheesy and I can't believe I'm telling you this. But she's continued to make audio pieces without visuals. Which is called radio. 
that's the word, radio. In fact, she did her first radio story for This American Life in December of 2014. Okay, so then I know what happened next is that you found out that Wake Up Now had a conference coming yeah. up, right? Yeah, and we went to try and figure out what this was. Things are going well for Bianca. She really likes working with the team and being part of a collaboration. And she's definitely grateful to be out of that post-college state of loneliness and isolation. I can't even tell you how valuable it is to have an editor you're working with who's invested in the project you're doing and just having someone who you really trust, who you can bounce ideas off of on a daily basis and come to with little questions and send your work to as you go along. Like that has been so helpful. I I really like the cycle of the process as a whole, actually. In radio and and gathering true stories, there's like a phase where you're really out in the world and you're experiencing a lot and it's overwhelming and you're getting like all this input, 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 and you're interviewing and talking to a bunch of people. And then that's followed by a very meditative, reflective, and solitary period of editing alone in a room with just their voice, which feels really peaceful. So I find a lot of balance in that process of like being like out, out, out with your feelers out and then like becoming very reclusive and working on this thing pretty much in, in secret and in hiding and then and then revealing your your jewel or um, whatever you've perfected just the way just the way you want it to the world. The process feels really natural and then like starting from the beginning being really open again and, and just like seeing what interests you. The part I don't like is probably like the general pressure I feel to need to be making great things all the time because I think that's really hard and unnatural, you know. Um, so I'm trying to be more at peace with, I don't know, do, doing other things or not having ideas or something. I'm not sure. tons of things I would love to do. I would love to do reporting in a small town for a little while. I would love to live in like a very small community and get to know it really, really deeply. I like doing really short pieces. I think like very small radio stories can be poetic and and beautiful. And Bianca has already been doing this. They're called Sonic IDs, a concept developed by Jay Allison and his team over at Atlantic Public Media. Little bits of local life, no longer than 60 seconds, that show up between news reports, like an unexpected treat. What a horrible thing. They're fragments of life overheard, and the common denominator is a sense of place. Dead. It's usually busy. Sunday's usually busy. Must be a beach day. This is my favorite Sonic ID from Bianca. She's made several. And you can make them, too. Usually around 10.30, between 10.30 and 1 o'clock, it's slamming in here. Busy. Bianca does a lot, a lot of different things in different ways, but always with a good conversation at the core. And yes, she's at a place in her career that many work years and years to reach. But she's young and bright-eyed and knows there's a lot of career and life ahead of her. Some of her goals are pretty standard. You know, I want to, like, <laughs> fall in love and get married and do that whole romantic thing. 
and some of them are a bit off the beaten path. I would love to one day like live in a community of, of my own design with really creative people you know, that I can host there and just be open to collaborating with anyone and, and open to experimentation, but, but keep it in my own voice. If I meet someone who does puppets, you know, let's do puppets. Let's do interactive. Like, I'm just totally game to try things while still being in touch with my, my public radio sensibilities. I just think a curiosity about all the people out in the world and like the really weird things that they do has existed since I was a kid. And I think that still stays with me. We'd like to thank Bianca Gaver for being a guest on She Does. It's probably a good exercise to be on the other side of things every once in a while. It's really good now I know how people feel who I interview, <laughs> which is like a little bit tired and scared. Visit our website, shedoespodcast.com, to get your ears and eyes on the multitude of Bianca's work. And if you have something you'd like to say to someone but can't on your own, you can email Bianca at personalvideo at thislife.org and tell her your story. This episode was produced by us, Sarah Ginsberg, and Elaine Sheldon, and sound design was by Billy Wereznik. Thank you to Christine Cover, our illustrator, and the hand behind our little dough and the beautiful portraits of each of our guests. As always, our partner Filmmaker Magazine will be running five takeaways from this week's episode with Bianca. And thank you to Alston Pudding for helping us find this week's featured music maker, Lyra Mondal, who plays bass and sings the sweet sounds of mini dresses, the music you heard in today's episode. We both live in Somerville, right outside of Boston, so I walked over to her place to meet her. Yeah, just chop off their faces and put them in the compost and then like take the crab and put it in some... Lyra works at two of Boston's most prized eateries, one of which is a bakery. Her passion. I love sweet things. I love desserts. I love working with like really beautiful colors and flavors. The music Lyra serves up is just as appetizing. And I don't want to sound like narcissistic or anything, but I, I really love how we sound. I love what I do when I sing. I like that my voice gets buried in Caulfield's guitars and it's like swirly weird noises. I'll sing like a little loop and then he'll just affect it out until it does not resemble my voice at all. And we do that a lot. Lyra has always felt like a little bit of an outsider. She was born and raised in Arkansas, a choir kid and classically trained vocalist, just trying to go to basement shows and listen to some good music. I was always on the fringes of that because I was this nerdy little South Asian American kid with an overprotective mom who like couldn't go out and do anything. Mm -hmm. I think I was looking for an identity, and I, I sometimes, I, well, honestly, I still am looking for my identity. I, I still feel very new in this world, but especially then. When I'm on stage and I'm singing, I do kind of morph ever so slightly into a vaguely more confident being, and a lot of it also just like depends on my mood, because sometimes I do just want to be like a slinky black panther wearing like high-waisted pants and like an American apparel leotard and just being like really sexy. And then there are other times where I just want to like wear leggings and like a crappy shirt or what, I don't know, just like perform as that. I, I probably couldn't. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I have a little bit of vanity. Just need to try just enough. <laughs> the band has been consistently putting out EPs since 2012. Dare I say, mini albums by mini dresses. 
I feel like EPs for us are just a really good way to get out whatever ideas we have at the time, like a thematic arc that's just long enough to make itself known. We just get tastes throughout the years of like what we were into and what just where we were at that point in time. Visit our website, shedoespodcast.com slash music for more on Lyra and to find out how to get your hands and ears on Mini Dress's recently released EP, Four, made under Boston-based label Little Death Records, who puts out limited edition hand-printed cassettes. Yeah, cassettes. They're back. And they're beautiful. Oh, and if you think this show was worth a dollar, or maybe even two, head over to shedoespodcast.com slash support. A buck can go a long way. Do you get it? <laughs> Wait, oh, yes. <laughs> a buck and a dough. Oh, all right. Thank you for listening to She Does. She Does.